Amen. Amen. May we not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it also. That's my prayer. Will you pray as we go through the service this morning? As I as I preach this morning, will you pray uh, prayers in your head that the Lord would, would strengthen us and revive our souls through his word? I want you to open up your Bibles now this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 4 to 8. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. And here's what I want you to do. As I am reading this passage, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see, or I want you to think about what the most important image or picture is in this passage. As I'm reading it to you right now, figure out and think about what the most important image or picture is in this passage. Let us read it together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So let me ask you again, what is the primary image or picture as I read that passage to you? What is the primary image or picture that comes into your mind? It should have been this, the picture of a stone. This passage talks about a stone. The primary central meaning of this passage is about a stone. And that's very strange to us. Let me tell you why it is strange to us. I want to tell you a stone story. Um, Our family, uh, my grandmother, uh, she's now um, passed away, but my my grandmother, she had a caravan in Garibaud, uh, Garibaud Beach in, in Cork. And us and the kids, when they were younger, we would go down to Garibaud. And that's where it all started. It was the stone collection. Our family's stone collection began then. And you see, I must confess, as a dad, I didn't really get this stone collection. I got a a shell collection, but for me, a stone collection, you just have these piles of stones in, in our house or in a box, and I just didn't get it. You know why I didn't get it? Because stones, to me, don't do anything. Stones, to me, don't exude life. They're just inanimate objects that do nothing, that don't have life. And so I had a bit of a problem with the stone collection in our house. But that's what makes this passage so intriguing. This passage presents to us a great and glorious stone. 
A stone that is precious. A stone that is important. A stone that is vital. A stone that is not dead, but a stone that is living. That's the picture. And this stone is Jesus. And what I want you to do, what I want to do this morning is show you all the beauty of this stone that is Jesus. He is going to present to us four pictures of the beauty of this stone that is Jesus. And listen to me. How you view this stone will determine how you live your life. It has very practical implications for our lives. So the first thing I want you to see about the stone, Jesus, is that he is the living stone. We must see that he is the living stone. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone. That's what Jesus is. He's not a dead stone or a useless stone. He is a living stone. And that sounds like kind of a a strange picture when you think about a stone as a living stone. But that is exactly what you have to call Jesus. If you are going to call him a stone, you better add something onto that description. And the best adjective to add to that description is, of course, living. Think about it for a second. Think about all the evidence we have for the fact that he is a living stone. Think first about what he did. He came into this world incarnate, born of a virgin, born in a manger, lived a perfect life on this earth. No sin in in thought or, or word or deed. Nothing perfect. Yet he was rejected by men. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried. But God, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, for it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible. The only one who truly rose from the dead to live forever. The other resurrections we see in Scripture aren't true resurrections. They're only resuscitations, only for people to die again. But Jesus' resurrection is final, full, and true. And so when we see Jesus, we say this, he is the living stone. Don't only think about what he did, but think about where he went. I was reading Acts chapter 1 recently. And in Acts chapter 1, you have this amazing, incredible scene where he's standing before the apostles and the disciples. He's standing before them and and he tells them, you will be my witnesses in Judea and in Sumeria and, and to all the ends of the earth. That's what he tells them. And then it says in the passage, this incredible reality in the passage, it says, and before their eyes, he was raised up into the clouds. Can you imagine that picture? Before their very eyes, on this very earth, he was raised up into the clouds, the ascension. And so from that picture, what do we conclude? Our Savior is a living stone, not a dead one. But then not only think about where he went. Think about where he sits. 
Think about where he sits. It tells us in scripture that he sits now at the right hand of the Father. He sits on the throne. He is now ruling and reigning. Let me tell you, you don't rule and you don't reign if you're not living. Our Savior is the living stone. And not only that, not only that, but we know he is living because of what he is doing on the throne. Hebrews tells us this in chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to intercede for you and for me. He's always praying. He's always doing something. He's always speaking on our behalf and advocating for us. And so we conclude, our Savior lives. If you are going to describe him as a stone, you better add something onto that image. And the only adequate adjective for that image is that our Savior is a living stone. He is not dead. He is alive. And you see, how you see Jesus changes how you will live. You either see him as a dead stone or a living stone, and how you see him will change how you live. If I was to go around Cork right now and ask people, survey people, and ask them the question this, when you think of Jesus, when you picture Jesus, what is the first picture, what is the first image that comes into your mind? I would suggest to you this, that two images might come to people's minds primarily about Jesus. Image number one is baby Jesus in a manger. And image number two is dead Jesus on a cross. Now, don't get me wrong. We do not have salvation if we do not have Jesus born in a manger. If Jesus didn't come and wasn't born and wasn't incarnate, then we would not have a savior. And so the manger is important. And don't get me wrong, if we did not have that picture or image of, of Jesus on our cross, we wouldn't have redemption and we wouldn't have the forgiveness of sins. We wouldn't have someone to take our place, be our substitute. Cleanse us from our sins. Purify us as white as snow. And yet, if we just leave the image there at the incarnation and the crucifixion, we miss the most important thing of all, the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, none of this makes sense. Without the resurrection, Paul says, my preaching is foolishness and so is your faith. Our Savior lives. Is that how you see Jesus? Primarily on your mind, do you see Jesus as a living Savior? And not only do you see him as the living Savior, but do you live your life as though Jesus, your Savior, lives? Is that how you live your life? Because that will change everything, won't it? Remember the song that we sing? Because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. That's the reality. I can face tomorrow. Yes, I have troubles. Yes, I have difficulties. But I live in victory because my Savior has risen from the grave. Changes how we live. The song goes on to say, because he lives, 
all fear is gone. That doesn't mean that we are not afraid in life, but that does mean that ultimate fear of what? Death is gone. Why? Because our Savior lives. He's defeated death. And so he promises life to those who would believe. And so that changes how you live. This week I heard of another um, friend of mine who, who died. I, I didn't know him all that well. Uh, but he was a friend of ours in our church in Chicago. Another young student left behind um, two children and two young children and his wife. I texted the pastor there the other day. I didn't plan on sharing this, but I, I texted the pastor um, there yesterday and was just um, talking to him about it and said I was, was, was praying for them. And, and he said this in the text. He said this to me about his friend, his close friend. Yesterday was a terrible day, but not an ultimate victory for the enemy. Satan will get his one day, and we will all rejoice to see it. The last enemy to be defeated is death. Christos victor. Christ the victor. Did you hear what he said? Yesterday was a terrible day, but it was not a day without victory. See, it changes how you live. It changes how you see life. If Jesus is truly the living stone. But in this passage, we don't only see that Jesus is the living stone. The other image we see of Jesus is that he is the cornerstone. And those two images are to be attached together. He is both the living stone and he is the cornerstone. And if you see him as the cornerstone, that will change how you live your life. You see, the cornerstone is the most important stone. When we hear cornerstone, we should think of important stones. When I think of important stones, the image that comes into my head is when... Um, I visited uh, this place in Kerry. They have these old, old Irish stone structures. And they call these old Irish stone homes beehives because of the way they are shaped, these beehives. And they can't quite figure out the exact date, but they reckon um, these beehives were somewhere between the, the 7th and the, and the 10th century. That they were built in, in such a way, just stone structures, only stone built in a, in a corbelled-like structure so that the rain would seep off. And they're so tightly packed and brilliantly made, these beehive stone structures. And you see, when I look at those stone structures, I have this rebel within me that always thinks, I wonder what would happen if I pulled out that stone. I wonder what would happen if I took away that stone or that stone or whatever. You see, there are certain stones that are so important to a structure that if you were to pull them away, everything would crumble. So it is with the cornerstone. The cornerstone is, is, is the most important stone in the structure. It is the stone of reference by which all other stones are built around it. It is literally the stone at the corner of a building and then everything else is built out around it. And if you were to take away the cornerstone, Everything would crumble. And what he is saying in this passage is that Jesus is indeed 
our cornerstone. He calls him the cornerstone in verse 6 when he references Isaiah 28. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is our Jesus. He is the cornerstone. In verse 7, it talks about it again. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner stone. Jesus is the most precious stone in the building. When it talks about the spiritual house, the spiritual building, what it is saying there is essentially what has happened. He's quoting uh, from Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118, God's people would go to worship in the temple because in the temple is where God would meet his people and where the glory of God would come. And so what Peter is saying in this passage is this. It's quite incredible. There is a new temple. And there is a new stone. And there is a new precious stone. There is a new cornerstone. And his name is Jesus Christ. If you want to come and worship God, you come to Jesus. If you want to come and see the glory of God, you come to Jesus. And if you were to take away this cornerstone, everything else would crumble. There would be no salvation. There would be no redemption. There would be no glory. There would be no sight of God. There would be no eternal life. But for the cornerstone. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus is our cornerstone. And that makes a difference as to how we are going to live in our lives. What difference does it make? Did you hear that in verse 6? Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And listen to this. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That makes a difference for how you're going to live your life. You know in your life, I am not going to be put to shame. It's amazing when you think of shame, you think back to the garden, don't you? He made them, Adam and Eve, he made them. They were naked, and it says they were not ashamed. And then only a few verses later, after they had taken from the fruit and disobeyed the Lord, they were naked and ashamed. And from that point, ever since the creation of the world, and ever since that fall, from that point, shame has pervaded our society. Our society is one of shame. Have you ever felt shame? Have you ever been embarrassed and felt shamed by someone? Shamed because of the way you live. Shamed because of the way you speak. Shamed because of your parenting. Shamed because of your marriage. Shamed because of your job. Shame because of your clothes. Shame because of your car. All these are shame. Most importantly, he writes to these churches who are being persecuted. 
And all they are experiencing is shame. And he says to them, one day, no more shame. Even in our most intimate of relationships, take marriage or or whatever, There's always some type of holding back. We like to think that we give everything over, but in some sense there's always some little type of holding back. Because we're ashamed if someone was to really see who we really, really, really were, what we really thought, how we really lived. It would be shame. But one day, one day, Think about that. That's mind-blowing. I can, I, that, that is absolutely mind-blowing. That there is a place that we are going where we will never experience that shame anymore. Never. Phenomenal, isn't it? All because Jesus is our cornerstone. But not everybody see him that, that way. Not everybody sees him as the living stone. Not everybody sees him as the most important stone in their lives, the cornerstone. Many people will see Jesus, and when many people look at Jesus, they will see him as the rejected stone. They will only see him as someone worthy of their rejection. Did you see that in verse 4? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. This is who Jesus is. You can always describe Jesus in this way. He was rejected by men. In fact, John tells us this. He came to his own and his own did not recognize him. They did not believe in him. They did not esteem him. They despised him. They spat on him. They beat him. They mocked him. They scorned him. They nailed him. They punished him. They pierced him. They buried him. Ultimately, they rejected him. And that's not only they But if you don't see Jesus as the living stone and the cornerstone in your life, that means ultimately you see him as the rejected stone. One that is only worthy of one thing, your rejection. And how will you know that you are one who sees Jesus as the rejected stone? There are three signs in these verses as to how you would see Jesus as the rejected stone. The first sign is in verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. One of the signs that you see Jesus as the rejected stone is this. You do not believe in him. You have not put your hope and your trust in him. You have not surrendered your life to him. He is the rejected stone to you. The second sign that you have rejected Jesus is you take offense by him. You are offended by Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 8. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Jesus is offensive to you. If you have rejected him, Jesus is offensive to you. 
When, when Jesus says things like, I am the only way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus says, that's the only way to heaven, that all other ways are wrong, that offends you. And so you reject it. When Jesus says there is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, when Jesus speaks about hell, you don't want to think of a place like that. You can't comprehend a place like that, and so you reject it. When Jesus is spoken of, of, of the great judge, you don't want to go before a judge, so you are offended by him. And finally, not only do you not believe in him and not only are you, not, are, are you offended by him, but ultimately, what do you do? You disobey him. The end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word. When you hear teaching like this, you don't want to hear it. And so you disobey and you reject him. And what I would say to you this morning that changes how you live your life, doesn't it? I mean, you may as well eat and drink and be merry. But one day, hear me, judgment is coming. Our Savior is coming back. Do not reject him. See him as the precious stone and as the living stone. Don't reject him. Don't be offended by him. Don't disobey him. Trust him. There is a hard thing in these verses, and it is hard to comprehend. For me, I must admit, but I know some of you will have seen it, so I will not ignore it. The end of verse 8, it says this, They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Do you know why people reject Jesus? Because they were destined. To reject Jesus. And you say that's a horrible thing. But the reality is. This verse tells us clearly. It's just the verse. It says. They disobey as they were destined to do. They chose to do. By their choice. What they were destined to do. And here we have this perfect marriage. Between human choice. And an ultimate destiny. And the scripture sees no problem with both those realities. And that's hard. And I take no pleasure in teaching that. I take no reality in saying I know all of what that means. I don't. But I do know what the verse says. And I think there's one thing that can help us with this. It won't solve everything. But in one sense... All of us were at one time destined to disobey, were we not? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, the moment all of us were born, we were born as those destined to disobey and reject God. And Romans 5 tells us, that sin entered the world in through one man, Adam. And so therefore all have sinned. We all inherited the sin of Adam. So when we were born and when we have lived this life, we were destined for disobedience. All of us. But then the question becomes, what stopped us 
from our destiny? What pulled us out of that destiny that was the place of eternal fire? What, what brought us out of that muck and that mire? What raised us from the dead? The grace of God. For though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive in Christ Jesus. By his grace you have been saved. This not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. So God came in and pulled us out so that we do not see him as the rejected stone. We see him as the precious stone. This is who Jesus is to us. He is not the rejected stone. He is the precious stone. And when we view him as precious in our lives, that changes how we live. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is who Jesus is in the sight of God. He is chosen and precious. God gave to us that which was most precious to him. Do you remember at the baptism? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father sent that which was most precious to him to die for you and me. In chapter 1, verse 19, and 1 Peter tells us it is by that precious blood that we have been ransomed and redeemed. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. He's precious, isn't he? And how do we see him as precious? Not only because of who he is, but because of what he has done for us. You see what he has done for us in verse 5? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because he is the living stone, do you know what he has done for us? He has made us living stones. That's how we see him as precious. Because we aren't dead stones anymore. We too are living stones. Incredible. And so the image that you are to think of in your head is, yes, that spiritual house. The spiritual house before was a physical temple. But now that physical temple is done away with. There is a brand new temple. And in that brand new temple, there is this precious cornerstone. And without that precious cornerstone, everything else crumbles. But here is the incredible reality. Not only do you have the cornerstone, but how do you have a building if all you have is one stone? And what the scripture says to us is, no, in this building, there is not just the cornerstone, but there are multiple living stones. And that is you and me who get to be a part of God's house. And God, the Holy Spirit, resides in us. We now are living stones, not dead stones, because of him. And so now we have this perfect picture again of our union and, and attachment to Christ. He is the cornerstone and we are the living stones. 
And these images, they run right throughout Scripture because of our faith in Christ. We are now attached to Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said? I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me. Do you remember what, what, what is said in Scripture? He is the head, and we are the body. We are so attached to him. He gives us life and direction. Ephesians 5 tells us he is the groom and we are the bride. We are so attached to him. It's almost like marriage. It's more than marriage. It's the ultimate marriage. So he is the cornerstone. And we are the living stones. We are united to him. To make the spiritual house of God. And there's one more picture. One final picture. In that house, what happens in the house? Well, you have priests and you have sacrifices. And what we know in Scripture is that in Jesus, in our precious Jesus, he is the great high priest. And he is the once for all sacrifice in Jesus. But what this verse tells us is that we get to take part in that. He is the great high priest. We are the priests. He is the all-sufficient sacrifice. And we offer living sacrifices. Do you see the picture? Do you see the picture? He is the vine, we are the branches. He is the head, we are the body. He is the groom, we are the bride. He is the cornerstone, we are the living stone. He is the great high priest, we are the priests. He is the once for all sacrifice and we offer to him living sacrifices. And what is the great living sacrifice that we offer out to him? Let me finish by reading to you Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. How we see Jesus changes how we live. And if you see him as the precious stone, what are you called to do in your life? Offer up spiritual sacrifices. And what does that verse tell us? Offer up your bodies as spiritual sacrifices to God. And what does that mean other than this? Give God all of you. Give God all of you. Give him everything that you have. Oh, we sing the songs. I surrender all. Do you? You can nod your head this morning and say, I see him as the living stone. I see him as the cornerstone. I see him as the precious stone. Well, then give up your life for him. Follow him. No more half-hearted Christianity for you. Give your whole self to Jesus. Give your whole body to Jesus. He's yours. All your ambitions, all your hopes and your plans, over to him. Your family and your life over to him. Your work over to him. All your, all your money, all your life is to be his. I want to live it for you, Jesus. 
So this morning you have a real choice. Are you going to see him as the rejected stone or as the precious stone? Oh, I would call on you. See Jesus as precious because that is who he is. And so right now we are going to sing together a quite appropriate song, the song Cornerstone. And I want you to sing it. Please do sing it to Jesus as a response to him, our cornerstone. And after this time, we're going to have a time of reflection. Luana is going to come in on the camera. She's going to reflect as to what God has been speaking to her. And I encourage you guys to reflect at this time about maybe a verse or response um, or maybe just a comment in response uh, to what you've heard from God's word this morning. So let us sing together. Christ alone, cornerstone.